0: Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned, as together we'll study God's Word. Good morning, PCC it's wonderful to be with all of you uh as bobby mentioned my name is katie langley i'm on staff with the family ministries team here uh so you often see me with with folks that are you know a little shorter than adult sized uh, so it's a, real, it's a real pleasure to be with you uh all this morning would you join me in one more word of prayer uh as we as we open up god's word jesus thank you so much that uh You are someone who sees everything. You are someone who knows everything. Uh, You are one who holds all glory and honor and power, uh, and yet you choose to dwell among us uh, and to understand our lives. Uh, our pains, our heartaches. Uh, God, we are grateful for your kindness and your patience in in that. Uh, we ask, God, that you would uh, speak, to, speak to the weary a word this morning, uh, a word reminding them that you have not forgotten them, you have not abandoned them, uh, you have not left them alone, uh, but that you are actually to be found in caves. Uh, God, we ask that you open our eyes and open our ears to hear what it is that you have to say to us this morning. Pray all of this in your mighty name, Jesus, and all God's people said. Amen. Um, If you have been around me for more than five minutes, you, you have probably learned I'm from the great state of Southern California. Uh, a, a few of you guys, you understand. Yes, you're like, you talk about it all the time. Please stop, Katie. But I love Southern California. And one of the reasons I love Southern California is because the beaches there are just beautiful year-round. If you've ever been to Huntington or Doheny or, or Laguna or any of these places, you know what I'm talking about, that it's a gorgeous, gorgeous setting. And it's warm 11 months out of the year at these beaches. And the remaining... 30 days that aren't warm are just scattered among the other 11 months. So it's just beautiful all the time. And the water's often warm. And when I came up here, uh, I, I recognized very quickly that Half Moon Bay is beautiful, but deceiving. It's windy and cold often, right? So it's gorgeous, but, but it's, uh, it's a little chillier than I was used to. Uh, so I learned you have to time your, your beach visits and whatnot. So growing up in, in Southern California, I was just, I, we went to the beach frequently. Me and, me and my family, we went frequently um, to hang out. And I had this particular experience, um, maybe, maybe late high school, early college, where I went with my parents and my uh, older brother and his family. Uh, and we all kind of got there, and we got set up on the beach. And at the time, uh, my brother had two little kids, so I was hanging out with my niece and nephew, about four and five years old. And uh, they were kind of sitting, if the surf is out here, they were sitting looking at me, so I was sitting looking at the surf. Um, and my dad and my older brother had gone out to... Uh, around in the surf because that's something you can do when the water's not 40 degrees, right? And so they're out in the surf and uh, I'm, sitting, I'm sitting there with the kids and um, all of a sudden, I, every, everyone's kind of doing their own thing. And all of a sudden I see my mom and my sister-in-law move kind of quickly towards the surf and they kind of go, oh, what, why are they moving quickly? And you see them move very quickly. And I look up and, and I recognize that, that you kind of see my dad's and my brother's heads bobbing. And I started counting seconds in between the bobbing and they were going down under the water and they were coming back up and it no longer looked very playful in the way they were going down and coming back up. Uh, and I look over to the lifeguard tower and, and I realize uh, the red flag is up, which if you know, if you know surf uh, flags at all means there's a rip current, right? Um, and, and they had taken the risk and said, ah, the rip current can't be that bad. And they had gotten out in the surf. And so I see the red flag and I see my mom and my sister-in-law start moving toward the water really quickly. And uh, I recognized really quickly that this was getting into be a, a pretty dangerous situation. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, this four and five year old and going, I just don't want them to turn around. So I'm going to keep playing it cool. And I start watching everything and, uh, and recognize in an instant, there's a, there's a streak from the lifeguard tower and he starts racing down and I start counting the bobs between seconds. And I recognize, oh I'm, I'm watching right now a lifeguard stroke race against my dad and my brother's life. Uh, and, and, you, and you feel helpless, right? Uh, I stood there and I went, oh, there's nothing I can do. I can distract these kids, but there's nothing I can do. Uh, and, and my mom and my sister-in-law are standing on the edge thinking the exact same thing. There's nothing I can do. Just counting seconds, hoping that each wave you see the person come back up at the end of it and hoping that the lifeguard's stroke is strong enough uh, to get two people very quickly. That moment for me, uh, was one of, of panic and helplessness and hopelessness. And later, when, uh, when they safely were pulled out of the water, I've never thanked a lifeguard so much in my life, when they safely were pulled out of the water, uh, my, my dad and my brother described the same feeling of hopelessness and helplessness. The difference was they were the ones with the waves crashing over their heads. I was the one standing on the shore, helpless, helpless. This morning, we step into that moment in David's story, and I wonder if we might find ourselves, whether we're the ones with the waves crashing over us or we're the ones standing on shore watching a loved one experience waves crash over them. I wonder if we might find ourselves in David's story this morning. Would you go ahead and open up uh, Psalm 57 with me? Psalm 57 was written by David as he was living in caves. We're just going to read that first verse together. That's going to be our our anchor verse. We're going to come back to it uh, in just a moment. But hear these words one more time. Psalm 57, verse one. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Today, we all step into a moment in David's story, a period of years in David's life in which the waves coming against him do not stop. We all step into a moment in time in which we wonder if he'll come back up. Perhaps the grief and the pain and the loss and the stress has just been too much for him. The four chapters of narrative that we're covering today, 1 Samuel 18 to 22, have so much grief and stress and sorrow that we actually have many options of what to relate to. As I considered this story, I found it helpful to title David in his many highs and lows. So if you want to go home and read chapters 18 to 22, uh, there's, there's so much there. There could be message after message after message. But here's kind of the overview of what lands us in David's attitude in Psalm 57. We have David the friend. He makes a best friend in Jonathan. We have David the ladder climber. He becomes very successful in his field. We have David the survivor. There are attempts on his life by his best friend's dad. That gets awkward very quickly. We have David the husband. Now he gets married to the daughter of the guy who's trying to make attempts on his life. Also the brother, the sister of the man that he is best friends with. We have David the confused. This father-in-law is now giving him great responsibility in the kingdom, but making attempts on his life and wildly jealous of him. We have David the finished where he recognizes it's time to pack up and go. This is no longer safe. We then have David the refugee, his wife is covering for him, his best friend is covering for him, he is being hunted for his life and he and he journeys very desperately to a foreign city. We then have David the hungry, he is a refugee. We have David the insane, he he acts, he pretends to be mad, which makes you a little bit mad in and of itself. We have David that I might be better off alone when 400 men who are in trouble or in debt or just simply distraught with their lives come and join him in these caves. And then we have David in the wake at the very end of chapter 22 where David receives the news that there has been an act of mass violence that he is implicated in. There are so many pieces that so many of us could relate to or see ourselves in. And if we can't see ourselves in these moments of tragedies, I would venture a guess that many of us could see our friends or our family in some of these tragedies. In the Chasing David book that we're going through together that many of us are reading, uh, we see Pastor Renee actually lay out one after the other after the other, all of these losses and say, how many of us have experienced these type of losses? Losing a friend or a job or a marriage or our dignity or our home or going hungry. So many of these things. David experienced so much loss in a short amount of time that many of us can actually relate to this season of his life in one way or another. Now, we know life isn't all one thing all the time. Some seasons are more painful, some are more joyful. Simple guesses would show us that in this room, many of us would be experiencing loss, but not all of us. So if you're in a season that's really great, you don't have to be in a season of tragedy to be important. But this morning, we are looking carefully at those seasons of loss and a struggle and to say, if not, how do I find hope? How do I help someone else to find hope? So if today you are in a cave, even if some of us cannot relate, we stand with you and we take moments this morning to acknowledge your reality. And if today you're not in a cave, we take moments to say, how can we better stand with those who are in a cave, knowing at some point or another, we all will face struggle and trial. That being said, and the stage being set for where David is coming from as he writes Psalm 57 in a cave would you again turn to Psalm 57 and we're gonna read the entirety of the text together. Psalm 57, a Psalm of David. Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and he saves me. He rebukes those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. Uh, Another translation says, my soul is in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongue are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love. Reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness, it reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Many of you know this so deeply and personally, that when you lose something, your heart changes. Uh, The wound of pain can eventually close, uh, but you're you're never quite the same. A friend of mine who lost a family member told me recently, the scar is everlasting. It heals, but it's a lasting reminder of something that was there and is not there anymore. As we look at David's interaction with pain, his own journal reflections if you will on pain, we see how his waves of grief did indeed change him. His heart was perhaps reshaped or shifted or cut and and rearranged and changed, but we notice something else in this, something unusual for someone experiencing so much pain and suffering. He felt the hard rocks he slept on at night in caves. He felt the gnawing of hunger in his in his belly and yet we see something unusual in his words. His heart did not die. He from a cave calls his soul to awake and to sing God's praises with just as much certainty that, that God is true and real as certainty he has that his situation is really bad. His soul, his heart does not die. There are some crazy things in scripture that seem unbelievable. I get questions frequently from people who do not believe in God. Say, do you really believe a man was swallowed by a whale? Do you really believe these different, do you really believe someone was rescued from a lion's den? But for me, these moments are actually the most unbelievable. These moments are some of the most incredible to me that hearts that should have shriveled up and died under the weight of sorrow and pain and grief, did not. These are some of the most incredible miracles to me in scripture. But realistically, how do you pray when you're in the midst of lions? How do you pray when your soul is lying down surrounded by anger and grief and sorrow and trauma and panic? How do you pray when you've lost your marriage or your job or a family member or a friend or your dignity or your status or a relationship or your network or your home or your health or or your very essence of who you are, it seems? How do you pray when a pit has been dug in your path, when other people's words towards you are as sharp as arrows, when disaster is visited upon you? How do you pray when all these things happen to folks that you love? Let's take a second to, to acknowledge what is grief. Grief technically is loss, right? Uh, grief comes from loss. So when these waves hit David, uh, we, we understand he's experiencing grief from loss. Uh, again, as so many of us understand personally, grief comes from loss. Uh, you, may, you may in this room jump to one of two ways of thinking about grief. You may jump to thinking, well, I haven't had x y and z happen so my grief isn't isn't that big of a deal i know so and so you may also jump to well i've had this and this and this so my grief they don't they don't know anything we very quickly jump to comparison can i be plain that suffering is not a competition it's incredible to me that in his words david is so plain about his pain And he's so honest with God and he does so without comparing it to anybody else's. He doesn't say my soul is in the midst of lions, but it's only two lions. So-and-so has six. Or he doesn't come up and say, my soul is in the midst of lions. Listen, send me some flowers right now because my soul, I have six lions. I've never had this many in my life. He doesn't compare it. He simply goes to the Lord and says exactly what is happening. He says, what is hard and what is causing him pain? He says, my soul is in the midst of lions. I'm forced to lie down among ravenous beasts. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. He is very, very, very honest in this Psalm. He goes to God and says it how it is, and God listens. We don't get God's response. God simply listens. You know, I wonder, I wonder what would happen if, if we were better listeners. I wonder what would happen if, if Christians were known for being the best listeners in the world. I wonder what would happen if when folks said, oh, I'm a Christian, uh, people would just start to talk because they knew Christians are great listeners. I wonder what would happen if we were some of the most empathetic people that in moments of pain, grief can be so awkward, in moments of pain and in moments of grief, if we would just sit and say, I don't really know, but I'm here, I'm gonna listen. I had a professor um, last year, uh, I'm, I'm studying with North Park Theological Seminary, and I had a professor last year say a line that I have not been able to forget. She said, silence is pregnant do not deliver it prematurely. That line has stuck with me. Silence is pregnant, do not deliver prematurely. And, and God in these scriptures, we don't get God's response to David, but I wonder if it's because God knows silence is pregnant and David just needed to keep talking. He needed to get it all out there. And sometimes silence is the best answer. Uh, I would, I would uh, recommend to you uh, a few very practical tools for sitting with someone in grief and pain. So if you're sitting here and you go, I'm, I'm, on, the, I'm on the shore. I'm looking into the waves and I see people struggling. I don't really know what to do. Uh, I'm good, but I want to know how to care for those around me. Uh, I would recommend a few very practical pieces. Many of you practice these already, but I feel we cannot remind ourselves enough how to walk with those in pain. Uh, Kate Bowler, a, a mid-30s um, young mom, several years ago was diagnosed with a stage four colon cancer just out of the blue like that. And she wrote a book called, uh, everything happens for a reason and other lies I've loved. And she talked about, uh, her interaction with pain and grief. And out of that, she's actually written a series of appendixes on what to say and what not to say to folks who are grieving and to folks who are going through, uh, a difficult time. And, uh, she has a few recommendations here. She says, uh, One of the things she loved to hear the most was, I would love to bring you a meal this week. Can I email you about when to do that? Practical. People always need to eat. I'd love to bring you a meal this week. She says uh, she loved hearing someone say, you're a beautiful person. You're a good person. You're someone I love. You're someone I care for. She said she loved to hear people say things like, I'm so grateful to hear how you're doing. Just know I'm on your team. Just a reminder that people had not forgotten about her. She loved to hear people say, can I give you a hug? Sometimes grief is so awkward, we forget to to care for each other and just give them a hug or a hand on the shoulder. Can I give you a hug? She said she appreciated deeply when people said, oh, my friend, that sounds so hard. Period, full stop. Oh, that sounds so hard. And then she said she appreciated most of all, silence. And someone's willingness to die to themselves and sit in awkwardness and just sit in silence with the grief and the pain that nobody really knows what to do with. Remember, if you're walking with someone who's in a cave, it's not really about you. To care for them well, you kind of have to give up your right to be uncomfortable and your right to to not want to sit in awkwardness. Get comfortable in the uncomfortable. If you're in a cave... It's so interesting. We talk so often about the promises of God. And I always, I always, in the back of my head, hear another set of promises. Promises like, in this world you will have trouble. He promises trouble. He promises that uh, where he is, are, he, he says, where I am, my servants also will be. He walked headfirst into struggle and trouble and, and pain And he says, where I am, my servants also will be. In this world, you will have trouble. It's a guarantee, it's a promise. He doesn't make any kind of allusion to dodging it or anything like that. He says, it's gonna be hard, but take heart. Because he is the God that does this miracle of saying, "Ah, your, your heart has been sliced up, but it's not dead. He is the God that does the miracle of keeping alive what would be otherwise dead. He promises he's bigger, but he also promises it's going to happen. David's words in 1 Samuel at one point are, my soul is one step from death. And yet one step from death, he says, God in you, I take refuge. One step from death, God in you, I take refuge. Can I suggest that suffering and grief and pain is a language all its own, a culture, if you will, all its own. One that unless you've spent some time in it, you don't really know how to interact. And you kind of get the cultural cues wrong. How many of you have ever been in a foreign country and you say something wrong or you do something wrong and everybody is offended and you don't really know what you did. You just didn't know the language or you didn't know the culture. And frequently we find that actually in suffering too. So can I suggest also that this is a language that God speaks? Because God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And this one and only son is the savior, not in spite of his suffering, but because of his suffering. If you would open up your your Bibles to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. If you go to Isaiah 53, there's a a passage that's important for us to uh, be in frequently. It's a reminder of the character of Christ. Isaiah 53, reading one line from verse 3. Isaiah 53, 3. He, referring to the person of Christ, was a man of suffering and familiar with pain. He was a man of suffering and familiar with pain. He was fluent in the language. He understands every piece of the culture. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. I I invite you to go to a God who knows to speak this language. I invite you to go to a God who's okay sitting in the uncomfortable silence. I invite you to go to a God, perhaps for yourself or perhaps for someone else and wrestle and struggle and persist in fighting for this faith, just as Jesus did in the garden, just as David did in the cave, just as Jacob did in the dark, just as Joseph did in prison, just as Daniel did in a foreign land, just as Ruth did in poverty, just as Mary did in disgrace, just as Paul did on his travels. You see, all the way in the beginning, we have this story. We have this story of a God who makes a world. In Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, we see that he makes this world for goodness. And there isn't heartache or brokenness. There's no blood spilled. There's nothing wrong. This world, this garden is perfect. And we see this story of this God that says, I want right relationship with people. And then it's broken and it's marred. And we find ourselves less in the garden and more in a cave with David. And we hear all God's promises about a garden and we say, oh, but, but I just see darkness. I'm in this cave. And yet a man who was familiar with grief and sorrow, one who speaks the language perfectly. A God who says, I'm going to send my son right into the middle of that this God steps down into time. He steps out of eternity and into time and he clothes himself in flesh and he, he, he kneels, he finds himself on the ground in a garden one night and he says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And he familiarizes himself with anguish so much so that he's, he's, he's sweating blood. He's betrayed by a friend. He's left all alone. And he voluntarily, he says, no one takes my life, I give it. He voluntarily gives his life, he carries a cross, he climbs a hill, he's, he's killed uh, in, in a public humiliating fashion. And then where does he end up? He ends up in a cave. His body is laid in a cave. He walks the path that all of us walk from a garden to a cave with many things along the way that we wish were not there and his body is laid in a cave, and he experiences the fullness of darkness, as so many of us have. And on the third day, according to his promises, he's risen again, and where does he meet Mary? He meets her right back in the garden. He meets her right back where it's supposed to be. And he says, ah, I've turned caves into tunnels. He says, I've made sure that the caves and death and sorrow and grief, and it's not the end. I've made sure I can speak the language fluently, but I've made sure it's not the end. I've made caves into tunnels. And he steps out into that and he says, I would invite all of you to join me. I can't speak the language of, of many of you your experiences of suffering and grief. I have my own uh, that I can speak and I'm fluent in different pieces of this, right? Uh, October is just just two things. October is uh, Infant and Pregnancy Loss Month and it's also Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, I, I have... I have cried with those stories. Uh, I, I know some of these stories. I know my own pains. Uh, I, know about, I know about stories of violence, and I know about stories of cancer, and I know about stories of loss and grief and death. But I can't speak all of your languages. I'm not recommending my experiences to you this morning, I'm recommending Christ to you this morning. I'm recommending a savior that is fluent and that does know and that does care, who speaks the fullness of pain and suffering and says, just as David, you're in a cave, or just as friends of David, you see him in a cave, you wonder if his head's gonna come back above that next wave, you wonder if he's gonna make it out alive, and Christ takes on flesh and says, here I am, I'm making caves, into tunnels. Psalm 57 verse 1, have mercy on me. O God, have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Jesus took the way things had been and instead of trying to circumvent it, he walked right through the middle of it. He did not try to avoid it. He didn't scrap it and start over. He started right in the middle of the brokenness and he marched through it, carrying a cross all the way back to redemption. He stepped out of a cave into a garden and and we find in John 21, he walks to a beach and he has breakfast with his friends. If you are in a cave today, I implore you not to quit. I implore you to seek after a savior who understands even if nobody else does. I implore you to keep talking to a God who sometimes is okay sitting in the awkward silence with you. And if today you have a friend in a cave, I implore you to, to learn the skill of sitting with those in sorrow and suffering. I implore you to go out of your way to check in with someone, to call someone, to have someone over for a meal, to, to really check in and see how they're doing. To not compare lions or not compare sorrow, not, not make suffering into a competition but to actively seek and care for one another well in that. Uh, really practically, I have a few, I have a few things uh, I would love to share with you. Um, one is in your uh, bulletins. The back page is actually uh, full of resources. Uh, so we, we acknowledge caves are are complicated and difficult, and there is no one-size-fits-all for navigating caves. Uh, You just just simply can't give any kind of pat or trite answers. Uh, But we do have some resources that we'd love to recommend in terms of next steps uh, to really get care in your hands. So if you want some of those, uh, there are resources available there, uh, resources as well for how to help those in caves. Uh, I would really practically recommend, I've said it a couple times already, uh, having a meal with someone. Don't, don't hesitate to reach out. Um, everybody eats. Everybody enjoys sitting around a good meal and, and, and getting to be with good people. Uh, so I would recommend really practically, if you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm in a cave or I know someone in a cave, uh, make that effort to have a meal together. Um, and the final really practical next step I would, I would suggest is maybe there's just someone you need to call this afternoon. Uh, maybe there's a phone call you need to make or someone you need to arrange to meet up with um, because either you're in a cave and you just need someone to know and sit with you uh, or because you know someone in a cave and you think, wow, I, I, maybe, it's, maybe it's time I reached out again just to check in on them. One more time, Psalm 57.1. Have mercy on me, oh God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until disaster has passed. Your soul today may be in the midst of lions, but the lion of God is still in our midst. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for uh, being one who was willing to take on pain and suffering, uh, being one who is willing to walk a road that none of us would choose to walk uh, so that you could understand our weaknesses and our sorrows. Jesus, thank you for being someone uh, who cares and who can understand when nobody else does. Thank you for being someone who's willing to sit in awkward silence with us uh, while we thrash and tell you honestly just how it is. And thank you for being someone, most of all, who can do the impossible. Because of your power over caves, uh, you also have power to make sure our hearts do not die and you have power to make sure that uh, we can turn our hearts towards you and remain tender even one step from death. God, we acknowledge uh, that life is hard sometimes and we just need you. And so we uh, acknowledge our dependence upon you and we thank you and we praise you that just as you uh, turned the caves in David's life to good, so also you will do that in ours. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is you're up to. We love you so much, Jesus, but only because you first loved us. Pray all of this in your name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.